Uh, well, good morning, friends. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm uh, one of the student ministers here at our church. Uh, let me add my uh, welcome to that of David. And uh, we've got a great passage to look at today. Uh, I hope you've all been uh, enjoying our Revelation series. Uh, I was having a conversation with someone just before uh, the service earlier, and uh, he was mentioning that um, one of the great things about looking at Revelation in this way is that it's kind of removed a little bit of the stigma and the uh, confusion that we've had earlier. And so uh, it's been great that we can just dig in and kind of take a look at what uh, God has to say. Uh, if you've got Revelation 7 open in front of you, that will be great. We'll be uh, looking at that together. And if you have one of the bulletins, uh, inside is my uh, outline for uh, the talk for this morning. And so if you have that open in front of you, I'll be following it pretty closely. Uh, but how about I pray first, and then we'll uh, dig into God's word together. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do, we do thank you so much for your kindness and mercy towards us and the Lord Jesus. Uh, Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. Uh, we thank you that in the gospel of the Lord Jesus, we come to know you truly and wonderfully. And we pray that you might uh, help us uh, to grow in love and knowledge of you now as we hear you in your word. Uh, help us to see Jesus clearly, uh, to love him more dearly, and to live, with, uh, to live for him faithfully uh, all throughout our days. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, when I first became a Christian about six years ago now, uh, one of the preachers whom I was listening to uh, via podcast was the American Presbyterian preacher, uh, Tullian Chavigian. Has anyone heard of Tullian? Any, uh, anyone heard of who he is? Or No? Uh, was, uh, I think in Australia he's not as well known. But, um, so he's actually the grandson of the famous evangelist Billy Graham. Uh, he's, uh, he was, at the time, one of the most uh, popular and, uh, I think, faithful preachers I was uh, listening to from the States. Uh, he was a Presbyterian preacher from Florida. Uh, I think he was really young, talented, uh, charismatic. Uh, you know, he taught the Bible well. And I think what particularly appealed to me was that he preached uh, the, the radical nature of the grace of God. Uh, if there was ever someone whom I thought would uh, remain a faithful Christian throughout all his days, it was uh, Tullian. Uh, but sadly, about three years ago now, uh, Tullian was removed from being a Presbyterian minister when it was found out that he was having an extramarital affair. Uh, the news came as quite a shock across uh, much of the Christian community in the States. I think many people were left uh, disillusioned and saddened. Uh, the church there took a long time to recover from the hurt that it felt from this. And I think a lot of people uh, began to think that if someone like Tully and Chavidjian, the grandson of Billy Graham, if someone like that could fall like this, well, what hope did the rest of us have? With all the temptations and trials that God's people face today, who can remain faithful? Who can possibly endure? Who can be left standing on that final day? Uh, friends, I'm sure uh, you've perhaps asked that question of yourself uh, at some point in your Christian life. Uh, when we go through trials and suffering, uh, when we struggle with the same sin year after year, uh, when we see some of our dear friends who uh, once called themselves Christians but, no longer, but are no longer walking with Jesus anymore, uh, we see all of this and we can't help but ask, what hope is there? Uh, with all these possible temptations and threats to our faith in Christ, 
Who can possibly stand on that last day? Well, that's the uh, question that we're uh, asking this morning. And interestingly enough, that's the question that Revelation 7 answers for us. Uh, if you've been with us so far in our Revelation series, uh, then you would have known that the Apostle John, uh, the one who wrote John's Gospel, has been seeing a series of visions uh, that ultimately reveal God's perspective on history uh, and God's uh, view of what's happening right now in the world. Uh, John has seen God sitting on the throne, ruling over the entire world. Uh, John has seen Jesus uh, portrayed as a slain lamb, who alone is worthy to fulfill God's plans for the world. And last week, uh, as we looked at Revelation 6, we saw uh, the judgment of God being poured out upon the world as Jesus begins to open the seven seals of the scroll of God's plans for the world. Uh, chapter 6 ended with the opening of the sixth seal, uh, and it ends with the very question that we're about to ask, that we're asking today. If you take a look at Revelation chapter 6, verses 16 to 17, it's the last two verses uh, just before the passage we're looking at. Uh, you can see there that the people cry out with the question, who can stand on the day of the wrath of the Lamb? Uh, you see, the sixth seal ends with this question. And the chapter that we'll be looking at today, it kind of it serves as a little bit of a pause in uh, the, the flow of um, of Revelation. It's kind of an intermission or an interlude uh, where God stops to answer this question. Uh, in Revelation 7, John is shown two visions, uh, one in verses 1 to 8 and then the next in verses 9 to 17, uh, that portray who it is that will be left standing uh, on the last day and how it is that these people will persevere and be preserved through these days. And so in this passage today, we're going to see two things. Uh, we're going to see uh, that the sealed servants of God are the ones who last. Um, these are the people that God himself seals and preserves. And we'll see that it's the multicultural multitude uh, that last, that it's the people washed in the blood of the Lamb who dwell with God. And so those will be our two main points for this morning. And if you're following along in the outline, we're at point two now, uh, the sealed servants. Uh, let's pick up our passage from chapter 7, verse 1, if you have a Bible with you. Revelation 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Uh, John now receives a vision, uh, and he perceives a remarkable scene where four angels are restraining the four winds of the earth. I think the number four there is used to kind of show uh, the entirety of the earth. We kind of use uh, the idea of the four, you know, the, the four points of a compass. Uh, it's kind of the similar idea. It's the entire earth. And the picture here is uh, these four angels having great power over the whole world. Uh, back in chapter 6, we saw the perspective from earth uh, when the great judgment is unleashed upon all of the earth. I think now in chapter 7, we're seeing the same event, but from the perspective of heaven. Uh, John gains a heavenly viewpoint uh, to see the calamity that's about to fall upon the world. Uh, but before God unleashes the judgment, uh, there's something that he wants done first. Uh, and as we keep reading, uh, in verse 2, we see that another angel rises up uh, with the seal of the living God, and he calls out to the other four in verse 3 with an important instruction. 
In verse 3, if you take a look, verse 3, he says, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Uh, The four angels are told not to commence their attack on the earth until the servants of God are sealed. Uh, I think the picture of what we're seeing here comes from our Old Testament reading in Ezekiel chapter 9. In that passage, uh, God was pronouncing his judgment upon the people of Jerusalem because they had abandoned God and followed uh, the idols of the nations. But before God starts his judgment uh, in Jerusalem... Uh, God uh, tells uh, the, the angel in, in, the, in Ezekiel 9 uh, to place a mark on uh, the forehead of every single person who, with God, grieves and sighs over the sin of Israel. You see, these people are marked so that they can uh, survive the judgment that's about to come, and they're kind of singled out as those who belong to God. Uh, This marking and sealing, it's it's a little bit like the kind of livestock branding that you might see on a farm. Uh, If you guys have ever seen, uh, often farmers use a branding iron or uh, some other tool to kind of imprint uh, either their own name or their initials or uh, maybe the name of the farm onto their livestock. Uh, The seal essentially shows that this cattle, these animals, belong uh, to this farmer. And so it's a sign of ownership. I think in Revelation 7, we're seeing something pretty similar to that. Uh, The servants of God are sealed to show that this is uh, God's, these are God's people. Uh, God sets his personal seal over his people to mark them as his his own and to protect them from the judgment to come. Uh, It's interesting though, as we read, as we read uh, Revelation 6 last week, the protection that happens over God's people isn't physical protection. Uh, It's not protection from uh, violence and from famine and from the things that we read about last week. Uh, I think instead it's uh, protection from spiritual harm. If you remember last week, uh, we did see that the people of God suffered in that way. We were even told that there was the voice of the martyrs crying out for justice, that God's people would even be killed uh, in these last days. And so this seal is actually uh, intended to protect them from spiritual harm. I think the seal ensures that the servants of God will not turn away from God in the end. Uh, The seal marks them as genuinely belonging to God. And so this means that no matter what happens uh, in the midst of this judgment, the people of God will persevere in serving him. These people will stand firm because God has marked them as his very own. And so you can kind of see the first answer to the question of who can stand on that last day is those who are sealed by God himself. Uh, They are the ones who will endure. They are the ones who will be safeguarded in their faith. Uh, And then kind of get the question of who are are these uh, servants of God? And so as you look, as we keep going through in verse 4, we start to see a little bit of the question of their identity being answered. So let's take a look at verse 4 together. Verse 4, And I heard the number of the sealed... 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Uh, It's interesting there that John doesn't actually see the 144,000. He hears them. He hears that these people are sealed uh, from the tribes of Israel. Uh, And then in verses 5 to 8, we see uh, 12,000 being chosen from the 12 uh, different tribes. 
Now, the, uh, the question of the identity of this 144,000, I think, has uh, been uh, the cause of much debate uh, amongst biblical scholars over uh, many years. Uh, I think there are some who take the number to be a, a literal 144,000 people. Uh, there are groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses who believe that this uh, 144,000 uh, is, a, is a group, a small, uh, a small group of people who will kind of be saved uh, on the last day. I think the problem with that view, particularly the way the Jehovah's Witnesses look at it, is that uh, it's not 144,000 of any people. If it's literal, it has to be the sons of Israel. Uh, it's people from the nation of Israel. Uh, but there actually are those who believe that, yep, there is uh, 144,000 uh, ethnic, ethnically Jewish people who will be saved on the last day. Uh, I think, again, the problem with that view is that um, throughout the book of Revelation, uh, the picture of who the true Jews are, uh, are those who follow Jesus. Uh, if you remember back in chapter 2 and chapter 3, when uh, Jesus was writing the seven letters to the seven churches, uh, he kept calling out those who are uh, not true Jews, uh, but those who are uh, from the synagogue of Satan. And so we're kind of getting a picture already in Revelation uh, that the, true, the truly Jewish people, the true uh, sons of Abraham, are not uh, people who are ethnically Jewish, but people who follow Jesus. And so I think in the end, the, the 144,000 is meant to be taken as symbolic. Uh, it's a picture, I think, of, uh, you know, the 12, so 144,000 being kind of a number that's taken from the 12 tribes of Israel uh, and the 12 apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and the number 1,000, which I think is meant to picture a large group. And so in the end, I think this is a picture of the entire church. This is a picture of all of God's people. Uh, it's the complete church, the whole church that is being protected uh, in these last days. You see, in the end, every single person that belongs to God will stand firm on that last day. Uh, God will not lose even one of his own people. They will all make it to the end. And so you can start to see that the vision that John sees, this first vision, actually brings great comfort. Uh, it would have brought great comfort to John, who was uh, sitting in exile, uh, suffering on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, it, would have been, it would have brought great comfort to John's readers, uh, the Christians in the first century who were suffering under the hands of uh, people who were uh, persecuting them. And it brings great comfort to us today, friends, as we suffer for following Jesus uh, throughout our own days. It's a picture, ultimately, that uh, all those that God has sealed will endure to the end. Uh, as many of you know, I uh, started studying at Moore College uh, earlier this year, uh, and it's been uh, an amazing experience learning from God's Word and being among such godly, faithful people as we study the Bible together. Uh, but I think when I started off, I actually found uh, the experience quite hard. And one of the main things I found hard was uh, transitioning, moving from uh, doing a ministry apprenticeship here uh, with us at church uh, to studying full-time. Uh, one of the hard things I found was not being able to meet with uh, some of the university students that I was meeting with at the time, particularly those who were struggling in their walk as a Christian. Uh, I found it really hard to trust that these guys would get along well and okay without me. You know, I just didn't know whether they would persevere in the end, uh, whether these hardships that they were going through would get the better of them, and whether they would be faithful to Jesus. 
Friends, our passage today, I think, gives a great reason to actually have faith and to have confidence. Uh, It answers the kind of fears that I had earlier this year. It gives us great reason to be confident by pointing us to God and showing us the amazing work that God is doing and God has done in preserving his people. You see, John's vision here shows us that God is the one who seals and preserves his people. God is the one who protects them from spiritual harm. God is the one who, from the beginning, writes out our destinies. And so this means, friends, that we can take heart. We can take heart knowing that uh, the hardships we face and the sins that we struggle with today won't have the last say in the end. Uh, We can take heart knowing that uh, those whom we know who might be struggling uh, in their faith right now, uh, if they are God's sealed people, they will stand with him on the last day. Uh, We can take heart knowing that God will not lose even one of his own people. And so, friends, let's uh, take comfort in the God who seals his people. Uh, Well, friends, so that's the first vision we've seen now in verses 1 to 8, this first vision that John sees. uh, And that kind of answers the question, it begins to answer the question, who will stand on the last day? Uh, Well, now we're going to see the second vision that John sees, uh, and we'll see again the answer to that question but we'll see more now of how they will persevere. How will these uh, sealed servants of God actually make it to the last day? Uh, And if you're following along now, we're at point three, uh, the multicultural multitude. So let's pick up our passage again from verse nine. If you've got your Bibles open. Revelation seven, verse nine. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Uh, I think John is once again shown a a remarkable vision, a kind of picture of what heaven is like. Uh, It's interesting, in verses 1 to 8, John uh, sees the vision, but he actually only hears the crowd. He never gets to see them for himself. And so he hears about the sealing of the the 144,000. But in verses 9 to 17, John sees it for himself. He sees the massive crowd. He sees it in the form of this multicultural multitude. Uh, In the first vision, John, I think, kind of hears an announcement from heaven, uh, but now he sees a, a vision from heaven for himself. And as you can see, as you start reading, you see that this 144,000 is not just a small group of Israelite people. Uh, It's actually a massive group of people from all over the world. Uh, The group is so large, in fact, that no one can possibly number them. Uh, Such is the the greatness of the multitude that John sees. Uh, Here is gathered every believer from every age before the throne of God. And then I think John goes into quite a bit of detail to tell us that this multitude is made up of people from all over the world. Uh, These are people from different countries and different cultures. They speak different languages. They have different skin colors. They've probably got different personalities. And yet they gather together as one group. Uh, This is the multicultural multitude which is gathered together to praise the God who has brought them salvation. 
It's interesting as well. When they gather, they don't, uh, they don't kind of rejoice in themselves, but they actually bring praise and blessing to God and to the Lamb who has rescued them through judgment. Friends, this is the breathtakingly beautiful picture of what heaven is like. This is the people of God from all over gathering together around the throne of God. This is showing that there is hope in the midst of judgment because salvation belongs to God. Uh, but the vision doesn't end there, so it's not, that, it's not just that John sees the crowd, uh, but he gets to interact a little with those who are there. And so he starts to have a conversation with one of the elders. Uh, in verse 13, you see John begins speaking with one of the elders who is there. Uh, and the elder gives John uh, the answer to, I think, the question that he's thinking of who exactly is this crowd? Uh, who are these people and how have they come here? And so you can see the answer in verse 14. In verse 14... The elder says, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And so John is told that this uh, multicultural multitude that he sees has endured the tribulation by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, the tribulation that he's referring to there, I think, is uh, speaking about what we read last week in Revelation chapter 6. It's not, a, it's not a kind of uh, judgment that's to come that will happen uh, at the end of the world. It's actually something that's already begun in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, it's the judgment that has come upon the world uh, since Jesus' first coming. And it's the judgment that will only come to an end when Jesus returns in glory. And so this uh, multicultural multitude is filled with Christians who have endured and persevered through to the end. I think these are the ones who were sealed back in the first vision. They have remained faithful to God all the way to the end. And then you know, John tells us how this crowd has endured. It's because they have been saved. They have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We've been seeing the image of the Lamb all the way through Revelation so far, and it's a picture of Jesus. And so here when we get the picture of the blood of the Lamb... Uh, we're seeing that it's representing the death of Christ. You see, the death of Jesus, the cross, is right at the heart of God's salvation plan for the world. Uh, the death of God's perfect son, slaughtered in our place, is the only thing that can wash away the guilt and stains of our rebellion against God. Uh, without the blood of the lamb or his victory over sin on the cross, uh, this, this group of people, this multitude, uh, has no hope. Uh, they would not be saved if not for uh, the death of Christ. And so we're starting to get the picture that it's only with the death of Jesus uh, that this group of people are presented before God uh, perfect and in victory. I think that's, what the, that's the point of the picture of being presented white. Uh, white in the Bible is the picture of victory. And so again, we're seeing the answer to the question, who can stand on the last day? Well, it's those who are washed in the blood of the Lamb. You see, every single person in this multitude is only there because of the death of Jesus. It's only those saved by the cross of Jesus uh, that will stand in the end. Uh, well, then John kind of comes to the conclusion of the vision that he sees in chapter 7, and he hears about the amazing heavenly reward that's in store for this uh, multicultural multitude. And so the, uh, the elder tells him, 
that because they have persevered, they will enjoy the amazing privilege of eternal life with God. Uh, if you take a look at verses 15 to 17, uh, you'll see the amazing description there of uh, what life with God is like. Verses 15 to 17. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Well, what John is hearing here, I think, is the picture of all of God's promises fulfilled as his people dwell with him forever. Uh, it's amazing how, you know, just a few short verses combine so much of Old Testament imagery of what it would be like when God and his people dwell together. Uh, God has prepared a glorious home of absolute security and safety that will be a place of permanence for his people. Uh, I think it's an amazing picture here of intimacy and blessing as the people of God are in the very presence of God. It's an amazing picture of the effects of the fall of sin in the world being overturned. No more hunger or thirst or pain or suffering. Later in Revelation, we'll hear as well, there'll be no more death. It's a picture of Jesus, the good shepherd, the lamb himself shepherding his people. It's an amazing contrast. The lamb himself will be the shepherd of his people. And I think it's a beautiful picture of God wiping away every tear that remains from the eyes of his people. Uh, everything that they've endured, all the pain and suffering that these guys have gone through throughout their lives, God will wipe away every tear and there'll be no more memory of all of the pain that they've gone through. You see, friends, this is the wonderful reality of heaven. Uh, it's expressed as this wonderful gathering happens around the throne of God. And friends, I, I wonder... As we get this amazing vision for ourselves as we read the passage, I wonder if we feel the extent of this amazing hope. You know, living as a Christian in these last days of human history is not really easy. You know, many of us face opposition. Uh, we face tension in our workplaces as we seek to follow Jesus first and foremost. Uh, many of us suffer the loss of loved ones, uh, seeing people whom we love uh, victims of uh, sickness and death. Many of us feel the weight of sin in our lives that we just can't seem to overcome. Uh, living as a Christian today can often feel like a losing battle. But the great hope that we see in this passage, I think, helps us to see our hardships in light of eternity. You see, in the end, any tears that we shed today any tears that we shed in grief, any tears that we shed as we're persecuted, any tears that we shed, shed in sorrow, or tears that we shed as we grieve over sin in our lives, friends, all of these tears will be wiped away when we are with God for eternity. You know, as hard as it is to endure right now, uh, the glory that is to come is so much greater than the pain that we endure right now. So friends, I think one of the great encouragements from this passage is that we keep setting our eyes upon what John sees here uh, to let John's vision become our vision 
as we keep persevering in the Christian life. Uh, I think another thing as well, another one of the implications of this passage uh, is when we think about the multicultural multitude in heaven right now. Uh, You know, it's interesting, I think our world so often strives uh, for multiculturalism. Uh, It works really hard, makes policies and does all kinds of things uh, in order to achieve a multicultural society. And yet we continue to fail to really achieve it, don't we? Uh, Even in our own city, uh, Sydney is praised as being uh, one of the most multicultural cities in the world, and yet we don't necessarily see people from different countries and languages actually doing life together. Generally, we see different cultural groups forming their own little ghettos and their own little clubs. Uh, We see people kind of sticking together with uh, people who are like them. And so even though we have many different cultures in our city, we actually don't see these cultures coming together. And yet our world continues to strive to try to achieve that. Uh, But what's amazing here... Revelation 7 shows us that what the world works so hard to achieve has already been achieved in heaven. Uh, The picture of what we've seen here in Revelation 7 of the true multicultural multitude gathered around the throne of God, that's where we'll actually see uh, true peace between different cultures. Uh, And friends, as we meet together here each week, uh, our gatherings are actually meant to reflect in a small way what's happening in heaven right now. Uh, the gathering of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation uh, around the throne of God. Uh, we're meant to reflect this picture of people from different, uh, from different nations and languages united together in Christ. And so, friends, one of the things I want to do is to encourage us to perhaps make more of an effort uh, to get to know people in our gatherings who are different to us. Uh, now, I know this is a hard thing, and I uh, struggle with this myself, it is far too easy sometimes to, uh, to fall into the same crowd, to be with those who are like us in the same life situation as us, the same cultural background as us, the same personalities and interests and likes as us. But what I want to challenge us is in thinking that that's not actually reflecting what's happening right now in heaven. Uh, what we should be seeing is people in different cultures, people in different life situations, people of different personalities and interests all coming together. Uh, all loving and serving one another. And so I think it's as we do this, as we make the effort to uh, love and serve people who are different to us, well, that's when we see a, a wonderful reflection of the heavenly gathering happening here as we meet together. So friends, why not take the opportunity today uh, to reflect that heavenly gathering in talking to someone over morning tea later on, talk to someone who you don't usually talk to. Uh, love and serve people who are radically different to who you are. Uh, Let's meet together as God's people, uh, united together, very different, but wonderfully united in the blood of Jesus. Well, friends, let me uh, conclude our time together now. Uh, We live in a world, friends, we live in a world where we have rebelled against the rightful ruler of the universe. Uh, You have rebelled And I have rebelled. And our world is destined for God's final judgment. Uh, The picture of the six seals being opened in Revelation 6 from last week 
has shown us the bleak and terrifying picture of the judgment that has begun with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's left us asking, what hope is there for us? Who can possibly stand firm in the midst of these last days? Well, friends, Revelation 7 has shown us the answer from the heavenly perspective. Uh, Those who can stand in these last days are those who have been sealed by God. It's those who belong to God and who are truly his. They are the ones who will stand firm in these last days. Uh, We've also seen that it's those uh, 